Well, up until about the 1500s, uh, parents could gaze at the stars, take their kids out at night and gaze at the stars and look up at the stars and say, we're the center of it all, up until the 1500s. They could say that because Ptolemy in the second century um, convinced the world that the earth was flat, that um, we were the center of everything, that the earth didn't rotate, it didn't orbit around anything, but the earth was flat and that we were at the center. And then a guy named Copernicus came along in the 15th century or the 1500s with his maps and his books and his questions. His questions like, why are there different seasons? Why do the seasons turn? Uh, why are there some stars that come out during the day and other stars that come only out at night? And has anybody ever actually fallen off the earth as they've taken trips around the around the globe. I can't even say it. One day, Copernicus looked up into the sky and he said this, behold, the sun is the center of it all. People didn't take well to that, did they? Um, it took uh, about half a century for the world to come around to this. And when Galileo came around, guess what happened? They locked him up the state locked him up and, and the Pope kicked him out as if he had called the Pope a Baptist or something. And so people didn't like, people don't like to be kicked off center stage any more then than they do now. See, what Copernicus did for the earth is also what God often has to do for our souls. See, God often has to remind us that his son is at the center of it all. See, we live in a world today of self-promotion, of self-confidence, of self-pity, of self-loathing, of selfies and selfie sticks. Uh, we, we live in a world that is very much focused on us. It's very much focused on me. That's the world that we live in. And perhaps even as believers in Christ, we need regularly to have this kind of Copernican shift go on in our life where God reminds us that his son, Jesus, is actually at the center of it all. The sad thing about the world that we live in and even what we experience as believers who desire to live for the son, oftentimes we buy the lie too, don't we? Like the, our first parents, Adam and Eve, did long ago. We buy the lie that we can make ourselves happy that we can be satisfied in the things that we pursue. And God often has to tap on our collective shoulders and say and remind us that no, Jesus is actually at the center of it all. And this is what the Bible says over and over and over, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he's the center of it all. And this is often difficult for us. And so interestingly, as we start the new year, you know, 20, we start the year and in 2020, you know, I wonder if uh, rather than doing a vision and direction uh, sermon for you this morning about specific strategery that we're going to do, which we're going to talk about that at the end of the month. We're going to pursue that at the end of, end of the month. But I wonder if it might not be better this morning for us to really see a 2020 vision. Like we need to see clearly Jesus this year beyond all of our dreams and all of our goals and all of our aspirations and all of the planning that you've done um, into this year about what your life's gonna look like this year. And, and am I going to reach my goals this year? Perhaps our greatest goal ought to be, we need to have 2020 vision towards seeing Jesus for all that he is, amen? 
So let's take a look this morning. I want to show you a guy in Scripture that Jesus says is the greatest man that's ever walked the planet. The greatest man, this is Jesus' words, the greatest human who ever lived. You remember who that is? The guy who came and looked with locusts and camel hair and that guy? He, Jesus said, he's the greatest human to ever walk the planet. He's the last prophet, even, is what Jesus said about this man. So I want to look at John the Baptist this morning. I want to look at his life, and I think there's some great things for us to take as we start 2020 this year and think about being laser-focused and really clear and having a clear vision, a 2020 vision of who Jesus is in our lives and as we live our lives in relation to him. John the Baptist, I want to show you three things about John the Baptist, and we're going to look at John chapter 1. So turn to John chapter 1 there in your Bible. Um, It's in the Gospels middle of the Bible, turn right a little bit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter one. I wanna make sure our vision is clear um, as we start this year. Um, John one, put your finger on John three as well. I'm gonna make three observations about the life of John the Baptist. I'm gonna read some, uh, read, um, we're gonna parse out, kind of focus in on John the Baptist. So I'm gonna read um, verses six through eight in chapter one. And then I'm gonna read, uh, verses 19 through 37. It's up there on the, on the board as well. So let me read this text and we'll look at John the Baptist's life. There's much to learn from it. Um, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Skim down to verse 19 now. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out of the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, verse 24. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even who who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not unworthy to tie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Look at verse 29. This is what John thinks of Jesus and who he is. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him the first time. And he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me baptized with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remains, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. A number of things about John the Baptist for this year for you. The first one is this. John the Baptist knew who he was and who he wasn't. Here's your point. Know who you are and who you're not. Maybe more importantly, who you're not. Know who you are and who you're not. The text says in verse 
um, six through eight, that he is what? He's the forerunner. He's the guy who came before the Lord. This is what he said. He said, I come, I'm preparing the way, like the herald comes before the king, right? And heralds and demonstrates and proclaims who the king is. This was John the Baptist's role, and he was really clear on it. Do you notice that the apostle John makes it really clear as well who John the Baptist is and who John the Baptist isn't? And then John the Baptist self-attests that he is not a lot of things. Do you see how many times the word not is used in this text? Look back at it. He says, um, he, says uh, he, he came to bear witness. Uh, he is not, verse eight, he is not the light. And then listen, the Pharisees come to him. The Pharisees sent a delegation to come to John because he was having success. People were repenting and believing in the way. He was doing his job well. He had a large following. And so the Pharisees get concerned when there's large followings, right? Because that might rep against their reputation and, their, and who they are. And so they notice that John the Baptist is having success. And so they send a delegation to ask who he is. And he says what? I am not the Christ. Verse 20, are you Elijah? no. Are you a prophet? No. He says no to all these things. It's really interesting that John knew exactly why he was sent. He knew what his job was, and he knew who he wasn't. What's the temptation when you have success? Temptation when you have success in any area of life as a human being is what? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I got this together. I got people following me. John doesn't do that. Do you see the humility of John here? You continue, you're gonna to continue to see the humility of John in this passage. He's the forerunner, he bears witness. He even says so many times who he's not, and then he says, in this culture, some of you know this, but he says in verse 27 that I'm not even, listen, I'm gonna tell you so many times who I'm not. I'm, there is one coming though who's greater. He's the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. What do we know about the culture and sandals? The feet. I mean, people had to walk everywhere. They didn't, they didn't have cars. They didn't have vehicles. Most people walked from place to place, and so the feet were the dirtiest place on a person. And John's saying, I'm not, I've got, think about it. He's having success. I, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus's sandals. That's not false humility. It's not false humility when you got a guy that's successful. We're gonna talk more about his success in a bit. See, the apostle John and John the Baptist make it really clear. Humility makes for a great witness. That's the point. Humility makes for a great witness because you're able to get out of your own way and show people who Jesus is, that people actually can begin to see Jesus in your life because they don't need to see you as much. And that was the beauty of John's witness. But that's a challenge for us, isn't it? I know it is for me. Who or what is in the spotlight of your life? If you don't mind me asking. Who or what is in the spotlight in your life? Maybe you're not the best person to answer that question. Maybe your spouse is. No elbows right now, all right? Maybe somebody else needs to help you with that question and answer honestly for you, who's in the spotlight of your life? You know, I'm convinced that most of us want, as believers in Christ, I'm convinced that most of us want to make a lot about 
much of Jesus. Sorry for the cliche. I'm convinced of that. But I'm also convinced that I have a really hard time getting out of my own way because of my own needs for acceptance, my own needs of, I wonder what people are thinking of me. You ever struggle with that? I know I'm the only one here. Paul David Tripp um, wrote a book called The Dangerous Calling, and it was primarily written to pastors and people in ministry, but it, it, it kind of caught on. And the reason he wrote the book is because he was experiencing so many people in ministry, whether serving in vocational ministry or lay ministry in a church that were struggling with this idea of, of me being the sinner. And so he had countless, countless men and women in ministry coming to him for counsel that were losing their ministry jobs. And so he writes this book and, and he says this, he has a quote in the book that he says this, and he says, I'm convinced that Satan trains battalions of demons to whisper one question in believers' ears. What do people think of me? What do people think of me? If you ask that question too much for too long, you will begin pursuing your own way and what people think of you. John, notice John the Baptist doesn't do that. John the Baptist isn't concerned about what people think of him. I mean, we got camel hair and all that too. Maybe he had a certain personality. But the point is, is that he got out of his own way. He allowed Jesus to be great through his life because he was willing to get out of the way. And I know that, I know in my life, and I would assume in yours that we want to make much of Jesus, but sometimes we gotta get out of our own way. And part of getting out of our own way is not worrying so much about what people think. Sometimes it's because for us folks here that may be extroverts and louder, we need to be heard. We need the people to see our wisdom and maybe for introverts, you're like, man, I, I don't want the spotlight at all, but I don't wanna speak up either. And, and both of those things work in, in really the same way we care about what people think. See, John the Baptist was successful because he was able to get out of the way. He was, had a humble witness. He was a success because he had a humble witness and he knew his place. I wonder if we know our place. So he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't, but look at what that freed him to do. I love this. Look at what it freed him to do. If you, if you pay attention to verse seven, he knew, he, he knew how to pursue his mission. That's your second point. Know who you are and who you're not. The second point is pursue your mission. And the way that you get out of the way and pursue your mission, it, 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 you're freed to do that when, when you get out of your own way. Look at how humble you see in John, this humility in John verse seven you see, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, so he knew his role. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. Look um, down uh, at verse 29 through 34. 29 through 34. This is the section where he says that he saw Jesus coming and he recognized, he, he saw who he was and he recognized that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Where do we get that language? That's pretty intense language. He was the Lamb of God who did what? who took away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, the Lamb of God did, is a reference to what? Do you remember? In the Exodus, where they killed the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. Um, it's a reference to Old Testament sacrifice for sin. And so when John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, who doesn't just cover sin like Old Testament priests would cover sin over and over and over again, 
John is saying, this is the Messiah. He's the one that's not only gonna cover sin, but he's the lamb of God who's gonna sacrifice himself and take away the sin of the world. That's a massive statement that John uh, is making in this passage. This is who he believes him to be. John the Baptist wouldn't take a knee for a guy that was just some ordinary prophet that was, there were thousands of people in that day that were saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. John the Baptist says, no, this is the Lamb of God, this is the Messiah, and he takes the sin of the world away. I don't think John would have followed a lesser one. He's following the Messiah. He's not gonna take a knee to someone less, but he does for Jesus because he sees them for who he is. He's the one who takes away sin. See, Jesus is worthy to follow because he's the Messiah. But if he's lesser than that, you and I should go get a better hobby on Sunday morning, right? If Jesus isn't the Christ and the Messiah hasn't come, we need, I mean, Paul says we're the, we're the most to be pitied, right? And so, but we believe this. And John the Baptist believed that Jesus was the Christ. This is why he followed him. This is why he pursued the mission. You don't jump on a mission, Soldiers don't get on a mission unless they believe in it. They don't sign up for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines unless they believe in it. And so he's on mission. He's willing to bear witness to proclaim who Jesus is and demonstrate who Jesus is because he believes he's the Messiah. Who or what? How do, how do you see Jesus is the question. This morning, how do you see Jesus? Is he the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, or is he just another religious figure to you? If he's not, then you shouldn't follow him, but he is. See, if you know Jesus, though, this morning, what does it look like for you to bear witness? What does it look like in your life today to bear witness? Bearing witness is the idea that you're you're living your life honoring Christ. You're sharing, you're opening your mouth and sharing about Christ. You're looking for opportunities around you to, to, to bear witness, to be a witness for Christ. That's why we're left here. Uh, we're left here to, to make much of Jesus like John the Baptist was doing then. We're here to pursue the mission. This is what John the Baptist was doing. Um, I wonder what it looked like this year. This is just a challenge I think I've brought this up before uh, a few months ago, but I would call it a, a mission 444 challenge. And I'm gonna flush this out a little bit more over the, over the next month or so. Um, mission 444 is the idea that there's really four areas um, in your life. There's family, um, there is neighbors, there's work, there's social. Those are four different areas of your life in which you are in in different times and different places. Um, find four people this year. Let's find four people this year. It doesn't have to, they don't all have to be in each of those categories. Four total people this year that you um, are going to pray for, um, that you're going to try to invest time with, that you're going to invite maybe to church or a Bible study or a community group, and four people that you're willing at some point to Ask the Lord to open the door for you to share the gospel with. So four networks in your life, four people, four things to do. I wanna unpack that a little bit more. I'd love to see, what I'd love to see is community groups embrace that and go, hey, Paul, at community group, tell me about your 444 challenge. Tell me how that's going. 
What are the names of those people that I can pray for this year for you? I love to see groups and leaders in groups embrace that to where we're not just a community of believers, but we become at least a community of missionaries who, who are intentional about prayer and intentional about holding each other to a place to go. Who are you gonna reach in your family this year? Who are you gonna reach in your neighborhood this year? Who are you gonna reach at work this year? What about the ball teams that your kids play on or the activities that your, your life what happens in your life, the activities of your life, and the people that are in those. How can we encourage one another to be on mission um, this year? And so that's a challenge for us, but I want it to be concrete. I want it to be laid out so we can embrace it and move forward together with it. So pursue your mission. This is what John the Baptist did. John knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. Um, it made him bold for Jesus, um, but what about his own ministry he had built. He had built a ministry. And so what's gonna happen with that ministry? Turn to John 3. I wanna show you this. This is phenomenal. This is one of my favorite texts. John chapter three. John knows who he is and who he's not. He's pursuing the idea of bearing witness about the light. And you come to John 3, and John has some disciples. And they're noticing that people are now going to Jesus for baptism instead of John the Baptist. And so these disciples do what? Let's read it. John 3, 22. John 3, 22, and I'll read down to verse 30. This is where the rubber meets the road for us with humility and putting Jesus in the driver's seat. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aeon and Salim because the water was plentiful there and the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, Jesus. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease." The disciples of John are basically saying, are you gonna let Jesus eclipse your ministry? Are you gonna let him take over? What about you? It was a moment of truth for John the Baptist, wasn't it? First thing John says, he says, this is from God. Do you see it? He says, back in, uh, sorry. He says, this is from God, look, um, he's baptizing, you yourself bear we witness, I'm not the Christ. Nothing can happen apart, nothing's gonna happen unless God allows it to happen. And so he understands that God is allowing this first to happen. This is humility, that, this, that John can interpret this as something from God. It frees him to see how God is using others, right? Rather than what you've lost. I mean, we can apply this in a lot of different ways, can't we? 
I mean, we can apply it to ministry. I mean, pastors are the worst at this. You know, we, we like to ask one another about how big churches are and, you know, what's your ministry like, but, but in our hearts, we struggle. We struggle with this. Um, this is a beautiful picture for me. It's John the Baptist yielding to Christ. That's what we all have to do. We have to yield to Christ, but you can apply this in, in, in so many different ways, whether it's your work promotion or, or a kid's doing better than your kid in some sport that they're playing, or kids, maybe this is winning humbly and losing graciously in life. But there's nothing, John's saying, look, there's nothing that happens unless God moves and God does it. And this is what God has done, so he sees it rightly. He's taking a demotion. He's joyously taking a demotion. Do you see that? He's joyous about the demotion. He's joyous about being eclipsed. And I love the picture he paints down further. Here's the picture that John the Baptist paints for his disciples. What a great teaching moment. What a great teaching moment that you could have with someone who follows you. John the Baptist says this. He says, listen, it's like we're at this wedding feast. We're at the wedding and we get to be a friend of the bridegroom. That's Jesus. And the bride is the church and believers who are coming to Christ, particularly in that day, Israel. I would say the church and any believers coming to Christ. And so what he's saying is, know what's happening here, disciples. This isn't about me. This is about us being friends of the bridegroom. We get to be a part of the wedding feast of the lamb. We get to be a part of that. So I don't care if I'm not the center of attention. I don't know what happened. I don't care if I'm not the center of attention. I don't need to be the center of attention because Jesus needs to be the center of attention. Anybody ever gone to the wedding? Ladies, help me out. You ever gone to the wedding or been a part of a wedding where the Maid, matron of honor, the maid of honor of groomsmen takes center stage in the weekend. Ever been at that wedding where someone else other than the bride and the groom are center stage? What do you do? You talk about that, right? I hear about that. I'm not paying attention usually. And it's like, do you see what's going on here? It's wrong because why? because the bride and the groom should be center stage. You stand up for the bride and the groom and you make much of them. And so this is the way ministry is. We get to be a part. We get to be a part of the wedding feast of the lamb so we don't need the spotlight because Jesus is in the spotlight. It's his place, it's not our place. So your point is this, embrace the joy of Jesus taking your spotlight. Embrace the joy of that. By the way, that takes the weight off. It takes the burden off that when, when you can minister to people and go, you know what? The Holy Spirit has to work here. God has to be at work here. I can't fix this. I can't change this. God has to be at work here. It's his doing. I'm gonna be faithful. Embrace the joy of Jesus taking your spotlight just like John the Baptist did. He not only did that, but he painted a beautiful picture for his own disciples who were saying, hey, are you gonna let Jesus take over? Yes, joyously. I'm gonna let Jesus joyously take over. I must decrease so he can increase. Sometimes we have to get out of the way. 
He took a demotion. His role was fading, but it allowed people to see Jesus for who he was more, more clearly. How do you do when you get a demotion? (laughs) That's a fun question. How do you do when you get a demotion? How do you do when somebody else's ministry or somebody else's community group is doing better than yours? That whole thing ebbs and flows, by the way, just so you know. How do you do with that? See, I think if we're pursuing Christ, that we, we may not be looking over here at a group or this person's ministry or this church or that church when we're looking at Jesus as we ought to be. When we have 2020 vision toward Jesus as we ought to. So he must decrease and I must increase. Here's the irony. 30 years later, Paul is in Ephesus, and guess what is happening? There are still people in Acts chapter 19 that you see that say what? I'm a disciple of John. This is a guy who had a faithful, flourishing ministry. Here's God's economy. When you become less, your ministry grows. When you become less, your ministry grows. Now, you may not see that out there. You may look around and go, well, that ministry is like 20,000 people. No, ministry the way God sees it grows. John had a phenomenal ministry because he humbled himself before Christ. That's how you have a great ministry. You want to be great in 2020, you got to give Jesus the spotlight. He knew his place. John knew his place. He got out of the way. He made much of Jesus. He was the greatest human on the planet. See that, God's economy? The last shall be first, right? Fool's shame, wise. God's economy is different. We have to see that that way as we do ministry. That God doesn't operate in the same economy as you and I do or the world out here. He operates with a currency of humility so that we can get out of the way and let people see Jesus for all that he is. Your takeaway is this, Jesus increasing plus us decreasing equals his glory and our joy. You get joy out of decreasing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get these Christmas cards or people saying um, in the new year, uh, increase in blessing. And I'm thinking, When I read this text, I'm thinking, actually, me decreasing means blessing. Me decreasing means more joy. You know, we've established here, um, since I'm such a great scientist and all this science history that I've given you today, um, just kidding. Um, The world doesn't revolve around us. Literally, it doesn't. Actually, though, the moon actually models our role pretty well. Think about it. Think about the moon. The moon doesn't generate any light in and of itself, does it? Apart from the sun, it's a pitch black rock. But properly positioned, it beams. It reflects the greater light of the sun and provides light to a dark earth. Maybe in 2020, we need to commit first and foremost to reflecting the sun. He must increase, we must decrease. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray um, 
through the work of your spirit and by your grace that you would cause in us, create in us just an attitude, a mindset that we need to decrease, that Jesus might increase. Give us real practical ways in which and look at our life and say, you know, I'm making too much of myself here. I need to make more of Jesus. So Lord, I pray um, for this year for us. I pray that uh, we be real clear uh, about focusing our attention as a church and as individuals and a people around the person and work of Jesus, that he might increase in our life and we might decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.